repeating things about LCPC just now is, of course, the fact that we have a few people in the congregation who have only recently uh, come to faith in Christ. A number of people who only, let's say, in the last year or the last couple of years have been saved by grace. Now, uh, because of that, one of I, I suppose you might call the active questions that's been asked in the congregation just now is this. People are asking, what is actually involved in following Jesus? You know, okay, I, I've been saved, I've become a Christian, but what now? Like, what does it mean? What does it look like to be a Christian? What is involved in following Jesus uh, for his glory in the world with my life? What does that mean? Now, I- I'm pretty sure uh, you'd agree that that's not just a good question for a new convert to ask. Is it? Like, even if we have been Christians for many, many years, you know what can happen very easily, don't you? Like the pressures of the world come in, don't they? They distract us. What happens? Even if we've been Christians for ages, what happens? We can lose sight of how it is that we should be living just now in this world, at this point, for the glory of Christ Jesus. Well, I think what happens in this portion of Scripture is beautiful. I'm pretty sure that you've seen, even from just the reading, that what Christ gives you this morning is a contrast. You see it? You've got this positive example of this impoverished widow. And do you see how it's set against the negative example of this scribe? And because of the way it's written, and especially because in the way in verse 43, Jesus turns to instruct the disciples, the twelve, I think what we're dealing with isn't just a contrast. I think what we're dealing with this morning is a contrast about discipleship. So do you see what I am saying to you this morning? What are we dealing with today? Jesus here is teaching Yuri more about what it means to follow him for his glory in this world. This is about discipleship. Now, I think there are three things that we need to focus on and to highlight this morning. The first of them is this. We see here the hatred of hypocrisy. Don't we? The hatred of hypocrisy. Now, if you were here last week, as most of you were, you'll know where we are at this point uh, in Mark's Gospel. Where are we? Even the boys and girls would know this. We are in the temple, aren't we? So we are, at this point, we're gathered with us amongst this huge big crowd, and we're all gathered under this covered corridor, and it's sitting at the, the outside of the court of the Gentiles, aren't we? We're in the temple. What's happening at this point? You've got our Lord, and he is addressing the crowd. So Jesus is teaching, but not in response to a question, as he's done for most of chapter 11 and chapter 12. Here, do you remember, he's setting the agenda. And again, if you were here last week, you'll remember what that agenda is. What is it that Jesus is speaking about at this point? He's talking about the scribes, isn't he? Like just a moment ago, he's unmasked the scribes' false views of the Messiah that we looked at last week. And now here, he is just about to unmask the scribes' false values before God. So, we know where we are. 
Everyone knows where we are. We're in the temple. Jesus is speaking about the scribe. What does he say? Well, when I was growing up in Scotland uh, many years ago, uh, I remember that when I was a kiddie, it was commonplace for ministers uh, to dress differently uh, to everyone else. I don't mean flares and a Christmas jumper in the summer. I don't mean that. Uh, it was commonplace when I was young for, for ministers, obviously, to wear what was called a clerical collar. You know, a dog collar. I'm sure you, you know, you've seen it. You, you know what it's like. Uh, now, the accusation that was leveled against some of these ministers, not the Presbyterians, obviously, but some of the other ones, you know, the accusation leveled against them was that they liked this sort of get up, they liked this garb, the collar, a little bit too much. You know, like in a society at the time going way back that actually revered the clergy. You know, the ministers kind of liked the fact that people would see a dog collar coming and think, oh, it's the minister. We better show him a little bit of respect. Now, you see that there, that idea. That's not all that far removed from what you and I have to deal with here in the first century world. You see these scribes that we're talking about this morning. They too dressed differently to everyone else. Now you picture that. In Jerusalem, everyone, they're wearing bright clothing. But the scribes, see if you can get your head around this, the scribes would wear a long white linen gown. And they would have tassels on the end of it. And then the most remarkable thing is that if the people saw a scribe coming, do you know what they were expected to do? They'd have to stop what they were doing. They'd all have to turn around and everyone would have to stand. That's a sort of mark of respect for the scribes. Now, you can see, if you look at your Bible, that it's this sort of thing that our Lord is actually speaking against here. Because have a look at verse 38. Like, what is this complaint? What is Jesus' criticism here? Do you see? He's saying that these guys, these scribes, they love this attention just a little bit too much, don't they? Like he's saying, they they love this sort of agilities. They love prancing about in their robes. They love sitting in the synagogue where every eye can see. They love being the special guests at the feasts. And then, look at the last one. They even love praying at length. Why? Not to plead with God for the salvation of sinners. Why do they like to do it? To win admiration from other people. Isn't it? Don't you think? It's appalling. Because remember who these guys are. What's their job? They're scribes. These are the experts in God's law. And they're caring not a jot about God's honor. They're only caring for themselves. Isn't it awful? Do you agree it's awful? Do you know what? It gets worse. One of the contemporary Jewish historians, he tells the story of a woman, a woman called Fulvia. Now, apparently, Fulvia's story was known right throughout the ancient world. In the first century, everybody knew about Fulvia. She's a resident of Jerusalem, I think. And the thing about Fulvia was that she was loaded. <laughs> and Fulvia was rich, uber, uber wealthy. Problem was, Fulvia's husband just died. Fulvia is 
bereaved. And you know what that's like, first century world, a widow, you know, to be bereaved. She's, she's vulnerable. So what does Fulvia do? Fulvia goes knocking on the door of the scribes. Because these are the lawyers, after all, aren't they? They are the experts in the law, and she needs help. And what do I do? How do I get financial security? What should I do with my, my money? And what do the scribes do? What do you think they do? Not to put too fine a point in it, they rip Fulvia off. They take her for absolutely everything she has. She's left destitute. And I'm saying to you, isn't that also what you're seeing from the Lord here? Look at verse 40. Like, what does he say? Think about the gravity of what Jesus accuses these men of. What does he say? They devour widows' houses. Like, do you see these men? Do you see what they're like? They're not just wanting attention. They don't just want recognition. No, they're abusing their position to injure the vulnerable, the, 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 the widows, and all in the name of God. Now, why are we here? We're here because, as Adrian said a moment ago, this is the living word of God, his inerrant word. Now, we're here because we believe, I believe, you believe, don't you, that your God has something to say to you right now from those verses and that situation Now, I wonder, what do you think that is? What do you think God is saying to you from this? Well, I think, yes, there is definitely a word about false teaching. Wouldn't you agree with that? Because what is it that Jesus says exactly about the scribes? Do you remember what's the word he says? He says, beware the scribes. Doesn't he? He says, beware. Do you you understand what, what we're hearing here? That you and I are to watch out for, and we've also got to warn others about people who preach in the name of God, but much more concerned for their own honor and their own glory. Now think about that. Maybe the people, even just now, as I'm speaking here, who throughout London, through their health and wealth message, what are they doing? What does the prosperity, what does it do? The prosperity gospel, what does it do? It exploits widows and vulnerable, doesn't it? And what does God say to us this morning? He says, oh, beware, beware, be vigilant against this. But I also think there's something maybe even a little bit more uncomfortable here for you and I, because what did we say at the start? The scribes, a negative example of what it means to live and to live for God. And I'm sure you see the lesson. Friends, our God hates hypocrisy. Isn't that what you see from what Jesus has to say about the scribes? Our God hates superficiality, hates religious insincerity, hates religious show, hates people pretending in his name to be something that that they are not. And I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I'm sure you know that that is a real battle in your heart. Isn't it? Don't we, even as Christians, love to pretend? Isn't there hypocrisy right here? Isn't there, I mean, it sounds so cheesy, but it's true. We talk the talk in here, and we don't walk the walk. And and we'll come, and we will pray so eloquently at a prayer meeting when we are silent before God at home. 
And we will come in here and we will talk with our brothers and sisters and the language, oh, it'd be beautiful and it's so spiritual. And outside we will not have said a word about the gospel to anyone during the week. We are masters of disguise. We'll see here the lesson in the scribes. What does Jesus want? He does not want our pretense. What is it to follow Jesus? What is it all about? Surely it is not about outward show. Our God is a God who looks not on the outward appearance. He's a God who looks on the heart. What is what is the, the, the Christian message? What is it I'm supposed to do in following Christ? God wants our sincerity and he wants our honesty in Christ before him. So we see a hatred and a hatred of hypocrisy. There's a second thing we see here, because we also see a desire for devotion. Hatred of hypocrisy, a desire for devotion. And I'll be honest with you, here, for this second point, I'm going to need you to work with me. Okay, because especially the boys and girls, you can stop your worksheets in the moment. And I'm going to need the boys and girls, everyone, but the boys and girls especially, to do something. Okay, let's see if you can do this. I need you... To try and picture yourselves, try and imagine that you are in Mark chapter 12. Okay, see if you can do that. So you've got to try and imagine, boys and girls, that you are in the, where are we again? Yes, in the temple. That's right, we're in the temple. So, what do we see, friends, if we do that? Well, Jesus, at this point, as we move on, has just stopped teaching. So he's just stopped instructing people about the scribes. And if you look around, you see the crowd begins to sort of move away. They disperse. Now, what's the next thing that happens? Well, get this. Let me tell you. Jesus is on the move. And we see Jesus walk along this corridor. He gets to the end of the corridor, and there's a gateway. There's an archway. Jesus goes into the archway, into this new area of the temple. Do you know what it was called? He goes into the court of the women. Right? Now, if you can look at verse 41 to see what Jesus does in the court of the women. What does he do? Verse 41. He, he sits down. I mean, let's face it. It's been a long day. Hasn't it? It's that six or seven sermons that we've been in this one day. There's been a lot of teaching, a lot of instruction. Jesus takes a seat. He sits down. Now, the important thing, though, is he sits opposite what was called the temple treasury. So you've got to imagine there are, in front of Jesus here, 13 huge, massive, trumpet-shaped containers where people would come along and deposit their cash. So everyone's got the picture? I hope. Boys and girls, you've got it? Jesus sitting opposite the temple treasury. Well, in actual fact, what is important it's what our Lord has his eyes fixed upon here. And do you see what it is? What is he looking at here? Yeah, there's a lot of coming and going. There's rich and the famous. They're putting all their wealth into these containers. Jesus doesn't care about them. He's not concerned for them, is he? He is looking at one solitary individual. He can see this woman, a poor woman, An impoverished woman make her way through the crowd. She gets up to one of these containers and she drops in a couple of coins. Now, in this, and I am wondering, why? 
Like, what is it about this woman and her circumstance that is just so fascinating that the Lord of glory is seated and looking at her? Well, this week, one of the most uh, timely things happened to me in my life. Remarkable, really, when you consider we are in Mark's Gospel. I, uh, this week, went to Claudio and and Marilene's house uh, for a meal. A Brazilian feast, really. Claudio and Marilene obviously know the way to my heart. It's through Brazilian food. And after the meal uh, disappeared, and uh, I was wondering where Claudio went, he came back with a metal case, which raised a lot of questions for me, but Claudio put the metal case down on the table and then opened it up. And uh, I couldn't believe what I what I saw, because here was this amazing collection of ancient Roman coins. Now, you've got to believe me, I don't know anything about ancient Roman history, and I don't know anything about Roman coins, but you've got to honestly believe me when I say it, it was remarkable to see it. Like these coins, much bigger than the coins that we would have, thicker, oh, so much heavier, intricate, aren't they? And they're, they're shiny, it's what amazing to see. Then what does Claudio do? He takes my hand. And he says, there you go. And drops something in my hand. And I was like, what's going on here? And I had a look. Now, you know where I'm going? What had he put into my hand? Two, what are called, lepens. Two of exactly the same type of coins that this woman has just deposited in Mark chapter 12. Now, you've got to believe me when I say to you, they're rubbish. Aren't they? They are rubbish. In comparison to the rest, they're tiny and they are plain. No real great inscription on them. They're light as a feather. Now, what is the most important aspect of those leptons, those coins? They are almost entirely valueless. Now, you understand this. Those two coins there were worth less than a hundredth of a day's wage at the time. So, when you consider how utterly pathetic this offering is. Isn't it amazing what Jesus says? Look at verse 43. He turns to his disciples at this point and says, because this woman is given out of her poverty, because she has given everything. Look at the words. She has put in more than all the rest. Isn't that remarkable? There's all this wealth, millions being deposited by the rich and famous. It's Passover time. All this money going in, these two little pieces of garbage, worth most in the eyes of God. So, I ask you, are you a new convert in here? Are you wondering, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Or are you a mature Christian in here needing reminded of what it means to live for God? I'm saying to you, look at the woman's offering. Do you see what it is that God wants from us? He wants our devotion. Isn't that it? Christianity is not about pomp and circumstance. Really, it's not. It's not about outward show. It's not about these smells and bells. What's that about? Look at the woman. It's about us trusting in God with everything we are, everything we have. It's about us being reliant upon Him. In fact, what is it about? What did Jesus say a couple of weeks ago to us? It's about loving 
God in Christ with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And I don't know where you are in your Christian walk this morning. Like it could very well be that you're struggling. It could be that you've got to a juncture in your life where circumstances have changed and you're asking, how do I serve Jesus now? Like, what do I do to bring Jesus honor at this point in my life? Are you asking that question? Don't you see the added lesson from the woman? This is beautiful. That even the seemingly insignificant acts of devotion, they are priceless to God. Isn't that special? Like even the tiny little things, even the small acts of service, even the little gifts and talents that we've got, if we use them for God's glory, if they come out of a heart that loves Jesus, what are they? Even the little things, small things, what are they? They are as gold to God. They are as gold in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see hatred of hypocrisy, but we see here God's desire for our love, our devotion. And then the third thing, and that is the termination of teaching. I'm just going to close with this. And it's the, it's a tragedy, a calamity that we often see in the church. And it's when people delay coming to Christ for salvation. When people put off coming to Jesus for forgiveness. And I think if you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, you'll have seen this and you'll know it all too well, don't you? You know that idea where somebody actually in their, uh, in their minds and in their hearts, they know that the gospel's probably true. You know, the people who think, well, yeah, I've been taught by my parents. And I've been taught in a church. And yeah, okay, Jesus is the son of God. And yeah, he died for sin. I get it. He's risen and plan of salvation. And what does that person do? They procrastinate. And they poo off pursuing Jesus. And they leave it. They leave it. They decide to pursue other things and they pursue what the world has to offer and they think in the back of their mind, oh, one day I'm going to come to Christ. Like one day I'll bow to Jesus. Just not just now. You know, leave me alone. I'll do it later. Now, what I want to know right now is whether that sounds familiar to you. Not whether you've heard this before, but actually if that is real to you just now, if you are in here just now putting off Christ Jesus, is that where you are? Friends, I need you to know what you've got in front of you in this section of scripture. Because you see that moment that I drew attention to with the kids. The moment where Jesus stops speaking about the scribes and he walks along the corridor and he walks into the court of the women. Do you know what that is? That is the end of our Lord's public ministry. It ends there. From this point on in Mark's gospel, our Lord is going to teach, but he's only going to teach the disciples. He's going to turn to his people. He is, listen, he's finished with 
the crowd. Now, isn't that our thought? His public ministry is finished. You remember it? That ministry that began in chapter 1? Remember when he calls the disciples to be fishers of men? That ministry. Like that ministry that saw him crisscross Galilee. You know, he's teaching and he's healing. That ministry that saw him decide to fix his eyes on Jerusalem. Go up through Jericho, Bartimaeus, and up through Bethany. And he's instructing, and he's appealing, and he's forgiving, and he's pointing people to himself as the very Son of God. That ministry, that beautiful ministry, now, here, finished. It is done. Do you understand? The crowd have now heard it. The crowd have had their chance. And so, friend, if you are putting off Christ Jesus, let me say this to you. If you continue to do that, if you continue to procrastinate, one day what happens here is going to happen to you. Do you understand that? Like one day Jesus will move away. One day your opportunity will have finished. The door will close. Spiritually speaking, one day you could see the back of Jesus walk along the corridor through the gateway with his people leaving you behind. And so I appeal to you this morning to come to Christ Jesus and do so without delay. And I will tell you why. It is because the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, is the Lord of all. He is your only place of hope. He is the only place where your soul will find happiness and satisfaction. Why? Because he, unlike the scribes, is the only one who is loved without hypocrisy, isn't he? He is the only one who, even more than the widow, has given everything over to God. He is the only one who can provide salvation. And why has he done it? He has done it two words. He has done it for you. Jesus Christ, he loves you and he desires that you today be saved. What are you going to do? Will you not come to him? I know your life may be in turmoil just now. Will you not see clarity here? Do you not see the beauty of Jesus? Will you not see that and come to him? And even this morning just now, begin this new life. A new life of humble, authentic, genuine, honest devotion. And devotion to our holy God. Friends, let's pray.